today we are continuing our series in Ephesians, um, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. Uh, last week, we started our autumn series uh, in the book of Ephesians, and um, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the believers in this area called Ephesus, okay? And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and, and what's interesting about this letter compared to some of the other letters that he writes in the New Testament is a lot of the other letters he writes because there's a problem. Um, there's a heresy, there, there, there's, you know, disunity. There's a specific issue that Paul writes to. But actually, in, in, in the church in Ephesus, there's no real specific problem. And what we find that it's, it's a very general letter that he writes to encourage the believers, okay? Now, before we get into the passage, uh, in your Bibles, if you have them, what you'll see is the section that we read today is titled Prayer and Thanksgiving, or Thanksgiving and Prayer. And what's interesting is the author of the letter, Paul, he's writing this letter to these people from jail. He's in jail and he's writing these letters. And what's amazing is even though he's in jail, he's continuing to uh, pray for these people. Now, before I assume that everyone knows what prayer is, uh, let me quickly define it. Prayer is how we communicate to God. Uh, it's as simple as that. It's just how we communicate to God. It's a direct line to God. But one of the misconceptions that we have about prayer, and hopefully we can uh, break this misconception tonight, is this, that we only pray and we only go to God when we need something. But isn't that the truth? Like, if you pray, isn't that really kind of like, you know, like, and I was talking to the guys in pre-service, was there's only really, at the moment, two times we pray. There's two types of prayers we pray in our day-to-day lives. The number one is this, right? Dear Lord, thank you for this meal. Because you've got you to gotta, you gotta pray blessing over the meal. Because if you don't pray, pray you know, blessing over the meal, you're going to get sick. We all know that. And the second time we pray is when we're in trouble or when we need something. But what Paul's going to teach us today through his letter to the Ephesians is that prayer isn't just for the meal and it's not just for when you're in trouble, but actually prayer is for any time. It's not just when we feel emotionally deflated. It's not just when things are going bad. It's not just when we need things that we pray. And it's not saying that you shouldn't pray during those times, but actually prayer, because it's communication, is not just defined to those things. Now think about it, right? Imagine, you know, if you were married and you only communicated, you know, imagine you only communicated when you needed something from your spouse, right? Imagine that, right? Like, you know, you're dating someone and you only actually talk to them when you want something from them, right? Your your relationship just becomes a needs-based relationship. But for those that are in relationship, you know, or for those that are married, you know that there's so much other communication, and it's not just when you need it. And why you have that is because the communication builds the relationship. That's how we need to learn to pray all the time. Now, the Apostle Paul in this passage gives us three things that he prays for. And we're going to go through these things. The first one's found in verse 15 to 16. It's the prayer of thanksgiving. 
And it says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. The two things that, that Paul gives thanks to God for, for, for the, the church in Ephesians is, firstly, is their faith. Right? It's their faith. It, it's, it's for what they believe. And secondly, it's for their love for all God's people. Paul is giving thanks for what they believe and how that faith translates out in their life. Now, let me ask you, when you pray for others, and hopefully you do, when you pray for others, do you give thanks for their faith? Do you give thanks for the way that they love other people? I think if we're honest... We're so quick to pray for people's lack of faith. And we're so quick to pray for their lack of love. Instead of giving thanks for their faith and love, how many times do we pray, Lord, help them be more patient. Help them be more loving. Help them grow in maturity rather than giving thanks for where they're at. And I think that's something that we need to learn is that we need to learn to embrace each other where we're at. I think one of the mistakes um, a lot of churches and a lot of Christians have made is that when someone comes, they expect them to come to our standard and then we can love them and then we can bless them and then we can be a part of community. But what we need to learn is in the same way God embraces us in who we are, we need to learn to embrace people where they're at. Ironically, the church has become the most, one of the most judgmental places in society and it shouldn't be like that. The church should be the place where anyone and everyone can be embraced and accepted for who they are regardless of what their life is about, regardless of what they're going through, and for us to celebrate even the fact that they're at church. We need to pray more like this, to be more thankful. Secondly, uh, Paul prays for their minds. Verse 17, I keep asking that God, uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of, knowledge, uh, spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul prays for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What's wisdom? Wisdom is having or showing the ability to make good judgment. It's about good decision making, right? And what's revelation? Revelation is the act of making something known. So if I reveal something to you, right, I'm going to reveal something that you didn't know. That's what revelation is. So Paul prays, God, give them wisdom and revelation. But why? And I think this is really key. Why does he pray for these things? Is it so that, we can, uh, so that they could learn more? Is it so that their heads could be filled with knowledge? Paul says, God, give them wisdom and revelation so that, you, uh, that they may know him better. So that you may know him better. God, give them insight and, and new thoughts so that they may know you. It's amazing. So many times we try to learn about God. We read the Bible, we read books, we come to church, and we try to learn more about God for the sake of learning about God. 
But you know, there's a very big difference between knowing about something or knowing about someone and knowing them, right? There's a big difference, right? Um, I'm into golf. I'm not very good at it, but I'm into it. I know, the, 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 I guess the most famous or infamous golfer is Tiger Woods, right? Now, I know a lot about Tiger Woods. You know, I've watched a lot of his tournaments. I know what clubs he uses. I know who he's sponsored by. You know, I've, I've followed his career. And, and, and if someone would say, you know, tell me about Tiger, I'd say, yeah, I'll tell you about Tiger. But I can only tell you about Tiger through facts and books and TV. Because I don't actually know Tiger. Like, I can't rock up to Tiger's house and go, ding dong. And it's like, who's that? That's just how I think he would answer the doorbell. Who's that? I say, well, this is Steve Chow. I'm from here, from Sydney. I know everything about you. I know everything about you, Tiger. I love you, man. You know, <laughs> he'd be like, security. You know, like, there's a huge difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. And that's the same thing with God. There's a huge difference between knowing about God and knowing God personally. That's what Paul is praying for. He's not praying for more knowledge. He's not praying for more, you know, just to puff up your, your fact sheet about God. What Paul is praying for is that as you get to know God more, that you would get to know him deeper and more intimately. It's not about the information. It's not the information that we desire, but it's the intimacy that we desire. And when we pray, we need to pray for each other like this too. It's not like, God, teach them more of your word. No, it's God, reveal more of yourself through your word. Thirdly, Paul prays for their hearts. We see this in verse 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. The third thing that Paul prays for is their hearts. The mind is logical and rational, but the heart is emotional and wild. You know, they say some people are heart people and some people are head people. That's how they make their decisions, right? Some people, uh, you know, they, they think through things. They, they process through their head. It's a very logical step-by-step procedure. And then they'll come to a decision. And then there are some people that are more just heart, just pure immersion, just gut feel, you know. And so, so Paul not just prays for their, their minds, but he also prays for their hearts. And, and he prays that the hearts would be enlightened. There would be new light upon their hearts. And there are three things for the, the, the purpose of why their hearts need to be enlightened. The first is this, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the hope. Now, one of the interesting things about this word hope is that when the Bible uses the word hope and the way we use the hope, the word hope is completely different. How do we use the word hope? We, we use this phrase, well, I hope so. You know, it's, is it going to be sunny tomorrow? Yeah, I hope so. You know, am I going to get a promotion next year? Yeah, I hope so. When we use the word hope in the world, there's actually very little certainty. It's like when we say hope, it's like we're rolling the dice. 
you know, we're, we're flipping a coin and we're just hoping that it lands on the side that we want. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it doesn't refer to putting our lives at, at, at a game of chance. But it refers to the grand plan of God. And the end goal of this grand plan, which you saw last week, was that all things on heaven, all things on earth would be under Jesus. That's the hope that we look forward to in the future. And it's not, will it happen? The Bible tells us it will happen. And that's what we wait for. Secondly, we, uh, our hearts need to be enlightened for the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. Last week, we talked about our inheritance in God. But this week, Paul talks about God's inheritance in us. It's interesting, right? Our inheritance in God is really simple. It's eternal life. It's what God has prepared for us as our Heavenly Father, and we as His children, that's what we get as we inherit from our Father. But what does it mean, God's inheritance in us? And this was really striking because even though I've read this passage before, this kind of just sort of popped down, and I was like, what does that mean? Well, it means, it, it refers to how God gives gifts to us to be used skills and talents to be used inside of us and God's inheritance in us is the joy he feels using us to accomplish the kingdom work it's a reminder that God didn't just create you for the sake of you just being a lemming on earth for the sake of just you know just follow the you know follow the crowd and go get a job and go on you know just do all the things. No, God created us and to each and every one of us he gives us not just a purpose but he gives us skills and talents and gifts you know, one of the most amazing things about being a pastor is you get to meet all sorts of people from all sorts of life. And one of the most underrated things that, that, that I get really sad about is that there are so many people that underestimate themselves. They underestimate what God has provided for them. Some people are like, oh, you know, I'm just an accountant. What they don't realize is it's not I'm just an accountant. There are people in this world that struggle with that word maths. There are some people that just, they would rather spell maths than try to count maths. And so for someone that's like, oh, I'm just an accountant. No, no, you're not just, just an accountant. You know, there are some people that are like, oh, you know, like, I don't, I don't know where I can serve in the church, but, you know, like, I, I, I can talk to new people. Can I tell you? Half the church can't talk to new people. So we, some of us are socially so struggling. <laughs> that fellowship time, that's like what hell would be like. You know, like that's the time where you quickly run to the bathroom and you just hide and you just wait for my voice and then you're like, okay, I can go back out now. God has an inheritance in you. And this is the amazing, God has invested into you. Now, whether you believe that or not is, is irrelevant to the fact that God has invested into each and every one of you. And He wants you to make the best of your life in this world. He doesn't want you to just wake up and go to work or go to school or watch your kids and then just go to sleep. Existence was not the purpose of man. God did not create us to survive. God created us to thrive. That's God's inheritance in you. And thirdly, we learn that our hearts need to be enlightened so that we can see His incomparable great power for us who believe. When we are in Christ, 
when we are in Christ, we have a power that is available to us. Now, sometimes we think of this like a video game where you have to build up your character. It's like, you know, I became a Christian and then I got to, you know, I got to do that for a year and then you sort of build up that power meter. You know, all the gamers know what I'm talking about, right? And then you're going to get to a level one and then you can do the super. You know, sometimes we, sometimes we think that, that the power of God is only accessible for those that have been going to church or been doing this course or, you know, but, but what the Bible tells us is that we have this power immediately. That we get to share this power immediately in our lives because it comes from the Holy Spirit. And Paul prays so that we might know this, that we might know that we have access to God's power in our lives today. So prayer, prayers of thanksgiving, and he prays for their minds and he prays for their hearts. And then he goes on to talk a little bit more about this power, which is really interesting. Verse 19, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted, he being Jesus, exerted when he raised Christ, sorry, he being God, raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also is the one to come. It's the same power. It's amazing to think. The same power that is at offer to us, that is accessible to us, is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Now, we think to ourselves, Jesus died and he rose again, the power of the cross. And we think that's amazing. Like, when's the last time you heard of someone coming back to life, right? Like, it's unheard of. But the scriptures tell us that it's the same power. It's the same power that's available to us. It's the same power that made Jesus and gave him all rule and authority, power and dominion. One preacher said this. He said, all Christians believe in the resurrection of Christ. But many Christians believe that, that they believe in the return of Christ. But only some Christians believe in the reign of Christ. Let me say that again. All Christians believe in the resurrection of Christ. Many Christians believe in the return of Christ. But only some believe in the reign of Christ. What does it mean? It means that as Christians, most if not all believe that Jesus died and rose again. Okay? Now, out of that group, many would believe that one day, as the Scripture says, Jesus will return. And when he returns, he will make all things new. Okay? Many of us believe that, but only some of us truly believe right now, Jesus is Lord over this world. See, what's interesting is too many of us have accepted the fact that our world is broken. Too many of us have, have accepted that the sinfulness in this world is the best it's going to be. And so, so many of us are like, ah, oh, you know, the world's broken, you know, there's wars and there's terrorism and there's illness and there's disease and oh, well, what can you do? And we've accepted that. We've accepted that this is just the way it is. 
And because we think like this, we think that, that Jesus' followers are always going to be one step behind the enemy. One step behind what the enemy is doing in this world. But what I need to tell you today through Scripture is this. Jesus is not one step behind. Jesus, even now, in the brokenness of this world, in the, in the sinfulness of this world, still rules and reigns. Yes, the world is still broken, and yes, it's sinful, and yes, you know, we are waiting a day. We are waiting a day where there will be no sadness, there will be no illness, and the fulfillment of what God planned. Yes, we await that day, but that doesn't mean that in the meanwhile, Jesus is second fiddle to the world. Jesus still is Lord over all. He's still reigning in this world. Why is this important, bud? Why is this important for us to understand that Jesus is the ruler of the world and not the enemy? If you believe that Jesus is reigning in this world, if you believe that Jesus still has control over this world, and that we have his incomparable great power, right? We have that inside of us. What does that mean? It means we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to accept that addiction is the only way. We don't have to uh, accept and live as if we're defeated. But we believe that the power inside of us through the Holy Spirit can make us victorious in our day-to-day lives. See, if we really believe that Jesus is reigning and ruling over the world today, and we believe that the power is, is available to us, well, here's a list of things that that this power allows us to do. We can face our inner hurts. You know, some people talk about trauma and PTSD and they talk about, you know, what happened when they're a child and, you know, they're just going to have to live with that for the rest of their life. And, 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 but the thing is, when we believe that Jesus is the ruler and reigns in this world, we don't have to stop at that conclusion. But we can go one further and say that the power of Jesus can redeem that. The power of Jesus can help us to abandon evil habits. The power of Jesus can help us to restore broken relationships. The power of Jesus can change bad attitudes. The power of Jesus can help us to reach out to others that are hurting, even when we're not perfect. See, when we don't feel like we have that power because we don't believe that Jesus is ruling, then we just live defeated. It's like we're believing in a God that's just not in control, and we don't have the confidence. We just meekly walk around like mopey, like woe to me until Jesus comes back. But it's not like that. Because we believe that Jesus reigns today. Verse 22 to 23 reads this, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him 
who fills everything in every way. Paul reminds us at the end of this passage that Jesus is not only the ruler of the world, but he's the head of the church and that there is nothing in this world that is not under his authority. Too many times we separate our individual faith and belief with the life of the church. The Bible paints this picture as Jesus as the head and the the, the church as the body. What that shows us is that you can't separate that. You can't separate the head and the body or you just have death. Can I tell you, you can't believe in the power of Jesus and not be connected to the church. You can't believe that that Jesus rules and reigns and, and not be a part of his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way, the fullness is seen and is experienced first and foremost in the church. We get glimpses of what the true eternal hope is in the church. Now, historically, the church has not done the best. You know, we don't have to look too far. You know, we just have to watch the news. We just have to look at the Royal Commission to see that the, the church has not fulfilled its duty. And that's not, because not, that's not because Jesus is not good, but that's because man is sinful. But please don't dissect the head and the body. This is where Jesus wants us to be. Now, I want to finish with two questions. We are talking about prayer. And the first one is this, when do you pray? When do you pray? Just before you eat? Just when things are bad? What's amazing is Paul is praying for these Christians in Ephesus. There's nothing wrong. There's no problem. There's no issue. But he continues to pray, even when the things are good. I heard this story a while ago, but they say that, this is going to sound like a very obvious story, but the best time to fix your boat is not when you're in the storm. Have a think about that. If that's like a revelation to you, you know, that's awesome, you know. The best time to fix your boat is not when you're in the storm, right? Now, think about this, right? When do we pray the most, right? When we're in the storm. Think about your life. When things are calm and collected, when everything's going fine, How much do you invest into shoring up yourself, working on your soul? Not much. Because we don't feel the need for that. But it's during the calm. It's during the quiet. That's when we need to tend our souls the most. That's when we need to fix the areas of our lives to to secure our identity in Christ, to, to go deeper in our relationship with God so that when the storm comes, not if the storm comes, if you've been alive long enough, you know you're either going into trouble, you're in trouble, or you're coming out of trouble. That's life. It's not when the storm 
Sorry? It's not if. It's not, it's not when the storm comes. It's not if the storm It's not if the storm comes. It's when the storm comes. I struggle straight today. But the thing is, if you're not ready, if you're not secure in who you are, if, if your confidence, you know, doesn't lie inside, then when the storm comes, you will struggle. So many times I've seen people, during the good times, they just enjoy life. They don't work on themselves. They don't work on their relationship with God. And then suddenly tragedy hits, and it hits all the time. They are so quick to walk away from God, simply because they didn't do the work when it was good, when the weather was good. And finally, the the last question is not just when do you pray, but how do you pray? How do you pray? Let me ask you, when you pray, when you pray, do you, is it like rolling the dice? You're like, dear God, roll the dice. Hopefully he hears me. Hopefully he got my email. Hopefully he heard my voicemail. Is that how we pray? You know, like you just sort of pray and hope for the best and, you know, hope that it works out for you. Or when you pray, do you truly believe? Do you truly believe that that the words that are coming out of your mouth or if you're praying out of your heart, that, that you are connecting and communicating with the Almighty God. And that you have the power of God in our lives through the reign of Jesus. Do you believe that when you pray, that you are going to the source of power and light? You know, it's a question of where do you place your confidence, right? You know, they say you only know what you really believe in when you've got nothing left. And it's a question of who do you cry out for? Who do you cry out to? You know, if I'm in a situation where I need help, who am I going to go to? And who you go to will ultimately show you where your faith is placed. For the majority of our world, you know who our faith is placed in? Ourselves. We hit a problem, we hit a snag, and we try to solve it. We're we're, we're problem solvers. We try to, you know, work things out on our own. But if you've been living long enough, I'm sure you would know by now that that doesn't always work out for you. Because so many problems that we have in our lives, so many issues that we, we deal with are beyond our control. How do you control illness? How do you control broken relationships? How do you control the future when you can't even guarantee your breath tomorrow morning? It's so funny how, how we trust ourselves so much in this world. And yet, The scriptures tell us that we can't even change the color of our hair on our own. When we pray, we should be confident. We should be confident to pray prayerful, powerful prayers for each other and for ourselves. And that's not because we're strong. And that's not because we've got our life all together. 
It's because God is strong. And the, the best thing about prayer is this. It's for everybody. It's, avail, it's available for everyone. The power of Christ is available for everyone here today. Let me conclude. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, pray continually. Pray continually. Another translation says, do not stop praying. Do not stop praying. Whether life is good or bad, do not stop praying. Do not stop praying for your mind. Do not stop praying for your heart. Do not stop praying that you would know God more and that you would exercise His power in your lives. I think that's the message for us tonight. Do not stop praying. Do not stop connecting with God, whether it's for yourself or whether it's for others. Because the power of God is what is at stake. This is how our faith in Jesus becomes translated into action in our lives. Let's pray.